0: Dan, this is episode number nine. I know. I feel like we've uh, done more than nine. We've talked to so many great people already, um, but it's every single one has been really interesting to me. I've listened back to them all, and I feel like I'm learning so much through this process. I, my mom actually listened to two of them. What'd she think? That's a good follow-up question.
1: <laughs> I'm glad for having it. Um, she thinks that your voice is very soothing.
0: Oh, that's nice. I always admired NPR people for like putting me to sleep kind of, but I'll, you know, very relaxing. You get your news and it's relaxing. So,
1: yeah. So there you go. My mother thinks you have a soothing voice. Okay. Um, so today we're talking about ethnic studies. Uh, and I know that you've actually done some of this in your classroom. In fact, you've read, you've, um. you're very excited about our guest today. And I'm just going to turn it over to you to talk a little bit about that.
0: Well, so today I'm really excited. We have Christine Sleeter, and um, I remember she was one of the first um, academic scholars that I had read about who really talked about um, things like ethnic studies and, and power and privilege and how they operated in society. And I feel like we just ignore a lot of those difficult conversations in, in um, K-12 oftentimes um, and sometimes because maybe they're controversial or hard by some people's measure, but I remember it really resonated with me um, in college. Finally, talking about some things, and and um, so her, her one of her articles was one of the first ones I read, and I, I just remember being it really um, impacted me a lot and made me want to learn more, which is I think the kind of the purpose of learning. So welcome to the podcast, Christine. Thank you. Um, Do you want to kind of start off and, and just tell us a little bit about your background in education?
2: Sure. Um, I I grew up in Southern Oregon, and this is actually germane to my background because one can reasonably ask how did a white person from Southern Oregon end up in uh, ethnic studies, critical multicultural education. Um, I did my undergraduate degree at Seattle University and then went to Central Washington State University where I took courses in German. Okay, so far this isn't moving us toward... Um, <laughs> And I happened to run into a teacher education program while I was at Central that so was based in inner city Seattle for learning uh, to, to was focusing on preparing teachers for urban schools, and that intrigued me mostly because living in Seattle sounded more interesting than living in Ellensburg, Washington. Not a good reason to go into urban education, but there you are. <laughs> but it was yeah. But it was working with inner city kids that first got me, started changing me. I um, spent time getting to know the kids both in the classroom as well as to some extent out of the classroom. And by the time uh, this eight month teacher ed program was finished, I didn't want to go teach somewhere else. I was certified as a social studies teacher at a time when social studies teachers were actually getting laid off. Um, But I wanted to continue to stay in the inner city. So I subbed around Seattle for a while and then fell into... Um, a teaching position for learning disabilities and became a learning disabilities teacher because that's where, where they were hiring people. And you could get hired as an LD teacher after taking a six-week summer school training program. Learning disabilities at the time wasn't classified under special education. But while I was living in Seattle, so I, I stayed in Seattle for about the next six years, and I was living at the time... Um, in a, a context where um, about half of my friends were African American, I was living in a black and white mixed social class racially mixed neighborhood and it was in that context that I, I, I gradually changed um, by listening to people I knew talk and just kind of being uh, living actually in the community that African American students were being bused away from to the school where I was teaching. Um, Uh, And then I went on and got a master's degree at Seattle University that focused on um, uh, curriculum and instruction and learning disabilities.
0: So, Christine, did you make an intentional decision at the time to live in the neighborhood of the communities where – and you said that was where you taught?
2: Yeah, the program I went on, we were supposed to live in the community. So I'm not sure if I necessarily would have thought about it. But after eight months of living in a working class neighborhood um, within walking distance of a racially diverse working class high school, Cleveland High School, where I was student teaching, um, that made sense to me.
0: Um, should teachers live in the communities where they teach and how important is it, especially if you come from a different background, whether it's um, racially, socioeconomically, if you come from a different background, can you really teach students without living in the communities and understanding what it means to live in that community? I know when I did a, I did a, an AmeriCorps program called City Year in Cleveland, and that's
1: one of the things that they stress to make sure that we're a part of the community, that we're not just like going in for that year from the suburbs, that we're actually mm-hmm. living just so we can, like, really make connections there. Um, So that's really great that, uh, yeah, that's really interesting that your program had people do that.
2: Yeah, it, it, it wasn't really set up in a way to know how to immerse us in the community. We did have... Uh, a small project that we were supposed to do, but now there's actually a lot more in teacher education about community-based learning. Um, I've done that as a teacher educator, built community-based learning into my multicultural education classes, because I think it's critically, critically important. Mm-hmm. But I, after I finished the program, I did intentionally decide that this was where I wanted to stay. Um, I, in some ways, didn't know squat still. I mean, in, what can you learn in eight months? But But I knew that I couldn't go back to where I had come from because I was beginning to change. So I allowed myself to stay and to grow and to learn over the next several years. When I decided I wanted to go on for a doctorate, I'd been teaching for several years in Seattle public schools and was and since I was. A learning disabilities teacher, I was thinking about going into special education. And so I started looking at doc programs in special ed. But at the same time, in my master's program, I took a class um, in multicultural education. And it was probably one of the first classes where multicultural education was at least part of the focus. It was organized by a woman um, who had had, uh, developed a um ethnic cultural heritage program in Seattle. And this was actually another one of a big learning factor for me was getting some involvement with this program. Um, she had been um, in the uh, she was Japanese American and had been interned in the internment camps. And that changed her. And so she wanted to try to figure out how do we make diversity work. And Seattle Public Schools was undergoing desegregation. So it was really ripe for these kinds of questions. So while I was taking this master's class, I read one of the first articles that actually had multicultural education in the title, and it was authored by this guy named Carl Grant. Hmm. And at the bottom of the article, it said, for further information, contact, you know, how published articles have your name and an address. And so I thought, huh well, I'm trying to figure out what to do with the rest of my life. Maybe I'll write a letter to this Carl Grant. So I did and told him I'm a white teacher, special ed teacher, who's really getting interested in issues related to race and ethnicity and culture and education. Um, Is there a place for white people in multicultural education? And I'm looking for a doctoral program. And then he called me. This is way before email. He called me and he said, yeah, come to Wisconsin. So I did. (laughs) So I I got my PhD at at University of Wisconsin. And then just by way of kind of fast forwarding, finishing out the bio, um, taught for three years at Ripon College in um, Wisconsin, and then got a job in multicultural education, probably one of the first jobs in the country that was actually in multicultural education at the University of Wisconsin Parkside, where I taught for a number of years, and then moved to California as a founding faculty member at California State University, Monterey Bay. So I'm retired now, but that's, my professional history
0: wow, that's interesting that's that's pretty incredible to write someone a letter and just get the response <laughs> back and it kind of changed the course of of your life a little bit um yeah, it's always interesting to me because you read academic articles or you read books I know in college and and the people just feel so you know like big and important when you read them and so that's part of one of the goals of our podcast was to help people get to know some of the people they maybe read their articles, and I know you're very well read um within. Uh, ethnic studies and multicultural education. So can you tell us a little bit about um, what you've done in ethnic studies, your work in that area?
2: Yeah. Um, Much of my work, my work actually has several related areas. And a a whole lot of my work has focused on the preparation of teachers for racially and ethnically diverse schools. Um, Ethnic studies claimed me more than me claiming ethnic studies. And what, what happened was when I was became aware way back when I was in Seattle at how little I knew. I started reading from ethnic studies uh, when I just realized like my African-American friends were talking about stuff that I hadn't heard of. Then I started getting books from some of the early um, African-American history books and literature books and then moved on to Chicano history and literature and then to Native American history and literature and kind of kept reading and never really stopped So I had gradually developed um, this familiarity with the literature in ethnic studies. And while I was at the University of Wisconsin Parkside, I helped uh, found the ethnic studies program there. Somebody else who we had hired grabbed me and said, hey, we need a program. And I said, sure, I'll help you with it. But the the, uh, research that I'd done in ethnic studies came about... Um, kind of in relationship to the outlawing of ethnic studies in Arizona. I had become familiar with uh, the Mexican-American studies program there. Um, I had gone and uh, spoken at their summer conferences a couple of times. And when uh, the state of Arizona passed a law, or was beginning to pass a law, uh, banning ethnic studies... I was contacted by the National Education Association and asked if I would do a review of research of the impact of ethnic studies on kids, and I wasn't exactly clear if this came out of that and later found out that indirectly it did. Since I had a pretty good idea of a lot of the literature, um, I agreed to do the research review. This was in about 2010, mm-hmm. and so I identified all of the studies I could find that reported data of the impact on kids, um, some of it was academic impact, some of it was social impact, some of the ethnic studies uh, programs, if you will, were actually really small, like somebody t- would teach a unit on African American studies and then happened to collect data on it. Others were large programs, there were research reviews of programs um, in higher education, so it was kind of this big batch of data. My, my main filter was: Did it was data collected and reported? Mm-hmm. So, if it was something small, something big, focused on African American studies, focused on race and ethnicity, it has, however it was framed, it was was data collected and reported. Okay. So, the so I, I, I divided the research into two categories. One okay. category was ethnic studies. Uh, the the impact on students of color about that the group was about so like African-American studies impact on African-American students the other category of research is impact on diverse student populations that include large numbers of white students and that turned out to be mostly at the higher ed level the other turned out to be mostly at the K-12 level not exclusively but yeah I'm still trying to figure out why Um, And what I largely found was that, well, what I found was that of the 16 programs that had data reported, and again, this was of the impact on students of color, all but one reported a positive impact. The one that didn't, the way ethnic studies was conceptualized by the framers didn't actually fit with the culture of the kids in the community. But all of the rest of them, and and the studies reported data on um, uh, student sense of self, on academic achievement, um, on academic engagement, some of them like two of those um, or most of them, just one of those. But
0: but they still have rep- positive impact on students. Was it specific to, for example, um, ethnicity or race?
2: Um, okay, this, is, this gets to how I had divided the research into two categories. Research looking at the impact of ethnic studies on the focal group, of African-American studies on African-American kids, or Chicano studies on Chicano students. That uniformly had positive impact on student sense of self students and that it connects with a lot of social science research that's Mm -hmm. looked at the relationship between having a sense of ethnic identity and achievement in school or in later life so so these studies did connect with this broader set of research the question of ethnic studies that may be about diversity or diverse groups that that mostly looked at impact on racial attitudes, and again, mostly found a positive impact. These were mostly the studies in higher education, but mostly found a positive impact on development of students' racial attitudes.
0: Were there any particular studies that really stood out to you when you kind of looked at this broad array of research? And then also, what were you able to do with the research in this particular project?
2: Well, the... This, actually, the program that's probably been looked at most is the one in Tucson that was outlawed. And since my review, there have been um, there's been another study that's come out, um, a very uh, detailed statistical study that's also found the same positive impact on student um, achievement on the, the state standardized achievement tests, as well as student graduation, students going on to higher education. And there's been another um, statistical study with with control groups uh, since since this review came out um, in um, San Francisco looking at the impact of ethnic studies on student academic achievement in San Francisco. So even though I'm not so much a statistician, these larger statistical studies that have uh, a control group or a quasi control group, I think are more impactful and in terms of demonstrating the impact um, and there were those were only beginning to be reported when I did the review
1: i it 's so interesting that you know learning could be outlawed <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was a really interesting turn of phrase um, like you 're a renegade teacher for like you know teaching ethnic studies for it 's wild. That's wild to me. It is. So I'm a, I'm a high school teacher. Um, I teach at a high school in Massachusetts that is mostly, I think it's 70% white. Um, what is this? So it seems like there's a huge divide between, uh, you know, schools that do ethnic studies. So you said in the uh, K through 12, it's typically.
2: Well, K through 12 actually
1: hardly does ethnic studies. Okay, and that's beginning go.
2: to change. That is beginning to change.
1: So how can we, what advice would you give to teachers in bringing ethnic studies into their school, or how could they do it in a way that's not like that study that you talked about that was ineffective?
2: Okay, okay. Um, This Kind of, I can refer to another research article that I did with some colleagues that where, where we looked at ethnic studies pedagogy because it, the question that came up in San Francisco is can anybody teach ethnic studies or what do you need to be able to do in order to be able to teach ethnic studies? And in looking at the research of ethnic studies teachers, we found some things that, that teachers really need. One of them is that they need to, to, they need to understand what ethnic studies is about and that the purpose of ethnic studies is really to confront and dismantle racism and colonialism. And teachers who dance around that and will, will, well, let's do cultural appreciation. Cultural appreciation is fine, but if you're dodging around racism and colonialism, you're kind of missing the point of ethnic studies. And actually, white students can grapple with these ideas sometimes better than white teachers who are just get, trying to get their heads around it. Sometimes I think we don't give teachers or kids credit for the um, issues that they can actually grapple with. Another thing is that the teacher does need to have ethnic studies content knowledge, just like with anything else. Um, like if you're going to teach um, physics, you need to have a good grounding in physics. If you're going to need to teach black history, you need to have a good grounding of black history. And you can't just assign anybody with a history degree or anybody with a literature degree to teach ethnic studies that they don't have the content background. Um, the teacher needs to have um, be able to develop relationships, um, strong pedagogical relationships built on trust with kids who are culturally different from themselves, and with communities who are culturally and racially different from their own. Because if you never, if you're afraid to get out of your own community and go into somebody else's community, it's going to be hard to be able to um, intellectually and affectively cross bounds. And even make ethnic studies relevant around issues related to race and racism. If if you're not able to do that, um, and then the teacher has to have reflected on their own self identity and their own. Um, understanding of themselves as a cultural, racial, ethnic being and their positionality in a racist society and be comfortable with that um, and being able to talk about that. And, and that will give the teacher the, um, some of the intellectual and affective tools to then be able to actually work with ethnic studies in the classroom.
0: What would you say would be your advice, particularly for white teachers? Um, a lot of people struggle being able to have these conversations especially initially and it's, I think, primarily because a lot of white people haven't had them. So what would you say is the best thing to help people start to get into it, um, ethnic studies and be able to to, uh, grapple with their own identity and how they can can start to help students um, study these types of things?
2: Well, to the extent that white teachers can do this, put yourself in a space where you're in the minority. And then don't go in and start blah, 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 blah. (laughs) Just shut up and listen. Seriously. Um, Because it's in those contexts. It can be community contexts. Um, It can also be professional contexts um, where, you know, you go to a conference that's on, like, black student achievement or something and there aren't too many white people there. Just go as a learner. Um, Because that will... Um, and a lot of white people will find that threatening, but it's it 's being able to put yourself in those spaces as a learner that I think is hugely hugely important um, and and then if if you 're going in as a learner and you 're actually listening to what people are talking about, I remember you know back when I was um, initially um, living in Seattle. And deciding this was an area that I wanted to go into. But I remember when I, it all of a sudden dawned on me, white people don't talk about racism. And my African-American friends are talking about racism all the time. And I'd better shut up and listen.
0: And so I did. And asked stupid questions along the way, but that's how you learn. Credit to, to my uh, mentor at the University of Oklahoma, Neil Hauser, where I first read your article and, and you know Paula Freire and lots of uh, – of critical scholars and um, Gloria Enzeldua, and all kinds of scholars that allowed me to think about things that I hadn't been able to think about in much of my life. And um, it just opened up uh, new conversations. And I, I felt like, you know, for me, it was in- incredibly beneficial because it allowed me to better understand my place in the world and also my, the privilege that I hel- had held. Um, and kind of had been unacknowledged for a long time. And so I think this is a topic that that everyone needs to kind of, you know, think about. And some people are, and some people aren't.
2: Yeah, that it's really important for people to think about and do. Very often, people will think there's the regular mainstream curriculum, and everybody should learn that. And if you have time, then Mm. you can learn some of this extra stuff about ethnic studies. And that's, misunderstanding ethnic studies because what it really is is a point of view it's like like history from a point of view, literature from a point of view, science from a a cultural point of view and I have people analyze the textbooks they're using to see whose knowledge is in those textbooks as a way of helping people see that the curriculum they're already using is coming from somebody's point of view Mm -hmm. so let's name Mm -hmm. that um, because if you don't understand that and you think that the regular curriculum is just sort of neutral, then you're always going to think of ethnic studies as being this extra that you can just add in rather than a rethinking of the point of view of the curriculum.
0: Well, um, thank you so much um, for for talking with us today. Where, where can we get some of your work online? And then if you had like a few articles or books to recommend, um, please recommend some of your own and then maybe a few others that you think would be most useful for people who are trying to learn more about uh, uh, ethnic studies and get into the topic.
2: Um, you can find the report that I did on for the National Education Association simply by Googling me, Christine Sleeter and then Ethnic Studies. And that's probably the first thing that will come up. And it's a PDF, you can download it for free. Um, the article that I mentioned that some colleagues and I did on Ethnic Studies Pedagogy. The first author, um, her name is Allison Tintiango Kubalas. She's in Ethnic Studies at San Francisco State University and it's published in Urban Review about two years ago.
0: Okay, Do you have any other books or anything else that that you would think would be good for people to read that would be helpful?
2: I recently published a novel that deals with ethnic studies. And it's written primarily for white people to help white people understand ethnic studies, although anybody can read it. And it really is a novel rather than an academic text. It's about a white teacher who's teaching in a school where about half the students are white and about half the students are Mexican-American. And she's grappling with how to understand the students. And early in the novel, she describes herself as, I'm just white bread. And so that's why the title is as it is. It's something I've heard white people say quite a bit. Through the novel, she starts understanding herself as a cultural and historical being by looking into um, actually her own family history and the history of Germans in America, as well as she gets into some of the history of racism in America and I won't tell you how it ends or where it goes or anything. You have to get it for yourself. But it does try to help people understand um, ethnic studies from a point of view that um,
1: many people might not have thought about. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we hope to continue this discussion here
0: and in other spaces. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe to Visions of Education on iTunes or Stitcher. If you write us a five-star review, we might read it on the air. And you can find me on
1: Twitter at 42ThinkDeep.
0: And I'm at Dan Krutka.
1: Until next time, this is Visions of Education Podcast, signing off.